Hello and welcome to the Big Happy Life podcast. I'm Natalie Britt and this week I'm talking to the founder of Restore You, Sonia Norman. Sonia is a holistic therapist trained in acuenergetics. She's also a meditation teacher and a sound practitioner. My conversation with Sonia took us on a journey that's a bit different from the kinds of things you've been used to hearing on the Big Happy Life podcast. And that's largely because this is an area of interest for many of you, and a lot of you have wanted to hear a bit more about alternative healing practices and the kinds of things that maybe we could do that are outside the realms of areas we've explored in the past. Now, Sonia offers amazing programs and healing modalities such as acuenergetics, which you'll hear about on the podcast, and she'll explain what that all is. And she also talks about meditation and how to do it and why it can be so powerful. Not only that, but right at the end, there's a bonus meditation where she guides us through just a one minute practice that you can do anywhere, anytime when you need to relax and recenter yourself. Here's our conversation. Before I ask you all of the questions that I've got here, um, could we start just by you telling us a little bit about your story? Okay. I, um, my holistic journey began eight years ago when I was living overseas in Australia in Sydney. My daughter at the time was only two. And at that time, I was very stressed, very anxious. Living away from home was just very difficult. Um, and that's when my body gave me my first major MS episode and I lost all strength in my left arm. But at that time, I then discovered AccuEnergetics. I'd always walked past their building and it had this stunning, great big, bright red door. But I never felt confident to go in. I didn't know what they did there. Yes, they had the sign outside that said, do you have stress? Do you have OBS? We can help you with this. We're at energy-based therapy. I think being from the UK, I was very skeptical and just always walked past them. But one day I just went in and that was the start of my changing my perception on what I needed to do to look after myself and changed me career wise as well. So long story, very short. I obviously undertook some sessions with the AccuEnergetics practitioners for myself and got the flow back in my arm but they helped me deal with the emotions of being diagnosed with a chronic illness so I was really intrigued and really loved it and really blown away with AccuEnergetics and a whole part of AccuEnergetics is meditation and mindfulness and learning how to listen to your body and being able to respond to it when it tells you with a slight feather touch and not being bashed with a big brick like I was um, so that started my meditation journey and led me to become a meditation teacher, an acuenergetics practitioner. And then last year, I took on the sound therapy, becoming a sound practitioner, because I believe the vibrations of, from all of those instruments really help clients with their energy to release and restore. Okay. I'm, I've got so many questions. Um, Let's start with the first and the most obvious one, acuenergetics. I'm pretty sure that quite a lot of people who are listening to this are going to go, what? Exactly. Acuenergetics is a healing modality that is based in Australia, and it was invented by a gentleman called Kevin Farrow, and he just developed it over 40 years ago. Basically, in a nutshell, acuenergetics looks at the whole body. We can treat clients using their meridian lines like acupuncturists do, but with no needles. 
we can look at the internal organs, see if there's an imbalance or a blockage in one of those organs. And we also can look at energy centers. And we believe there's more energy centers than this, the ones that yogis use down the front of the body. We believe there's some up the front and the back, and they're all interconnected. So if one of them is out, then it'll ripple to the other one. So you've got to look at the flow and the pattern. And how an acuenergetics practitioner works is they ask a lot of questions in that initial consultation that you might not even think are relevant, but we're just delving down to the root of the problem rather than just fixing the symptom. We're looking at what the root cause would be. And then we use our hands in various different techniques and skills, but the most common one is a resonance technique, which is an opening technique. And we use our hands with that opening technique to restore the flow and restore the function by letting the energy flow to us because energy is like electricity. It will go to the point of least resistance. And if we're creating that opening, it will flow through to us. So clearing the energy and the blockage means that your body can then heal itself naturally underneath. It's not that we heal your body. We just tell your body, let's just try and open this this way so you can flow and work better and get out of pain, get out of a dysfunction. Wow. Now, I... Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense in... If you're open to that sort of thing, I think that's probably the key, isn't it? And you said you were skeptical about this, you know, the first time you tried it. What clinched it for me was my husband is in finance. So he's a very head guy. Um, I'd just done level one. So I'd done one weekend was learning this basic hand technique called resonance. And I'm there going, I don't know if I can feel, I think I can feel, I don't know because I was so nervous about being in that environment. But after that two days, I went home to my husband on the Sunday evening and I put my hand just behind his head, not touching his head, so just behind his occiput on the back of his head. And I just did the opening technique that they just taught me that weekend. And after a couple of minutes, he said to me, can you stop squeezing my head? And I went, I'm not actually touching you, but yes, I can feel that tightness there in that energy center. And that just blew me away and it blew him away, which is why we carried on with it. And it's that little nugget you need to go, oh, actually, there is something in this. Yeah, you kind of, you, that was your proof, wasn't it? Definitely. Oh, that's brilliant. So yeah, when you've got that proof, it makes such a big difference. Um, so if somebody's listening to this and they're going, I'm completely skeptical about all these sorts of things, placebo effects, blah, blah, blah. What would you say that helps people open up to the possibilities? The first is obviously your experience with your husband, which is powerful in itself. But what else do you think might help people open up to the idea of trying something like this? I suppose in a way, it's people are skeptical as soon as you say the word energy. But everything is energy. Food is energy. So everything has those layers and if people can appreciate that your body is an amazing thing, it will try and work around a problem, not necessarily in its own right, but it will do what it can. And I suppose in a way what I want to say is that they, the people that can open their hearts to it and just trust and give it a try, then that will work for them. 
but I also love working with people that are skeptical because until you can see an improvement in yourself personally sometimes that's what needs to happen that you actually need to come and either have a session or have a chat with me and just see if it's something that we can work with and it's like sometimes another example for people is have you ever been talking to a friend or somebody that you haven't seen for a very long time and then you kind of want to say something but you don't and then your throat just starts to get tight like somebody's just pressing on you but you're not doing that. But energetically, you can just kind of feel that soft weight there. Again, that's energy. And if you can listen to that, you can change that yourself. You don't need to go and see somebody because you've observed that energy hold and how you can release that yourself by just letting it go and not taking it so seriously. Wow. And so if somebody came to you for sessions, that would be something that they would, that would be a byproduct of it, that they would begin to learn the tells yes. of their body and be able to release those things. That's really yes. cool. The whole journey of acuenergetics is educating them on their body and learning meditation because that's the amazing thing. Because when you can learn to be still, you, you can listen to your body a lot better and you will hear it when it gives you a tiny little tell rather than waiting for it to really make you go in pain. Yeah, that you know, that's something that's been really... Um, I don't know what the right word is, transformative for me on my journey was that that link between mind and body. And a couple of years ago, I ended up, I, I termed this, this idea, I called it Team You because at the time, because I'm a corporate trainer by trade. Um, and so a lot of my work is about team dynamics and getting an entire group of people to function as a team. And so I called it Team You because I started thinking about the dysfunction of a team and then an effective team and thinking about how they communicate with each other and how one will do things that will help the other, um, that they look out for each other, they have each other's back, you know, all of that stuff. And I found that the same, what I had been doing until that point had been almost like a dysfunctional team, like my mind against my body or my body against my mind. And there was always one that had to compromise or lose for the other one to win. Like, you know, if I went to the gym or something and my body's going, please, I can't, I can't. And my mind's going, see, this is why you're fat. Shut up, carry on. And it's like that fight, that internal fight where once I started meditating and once I kind of acquired that stillness, neither one had to shout quite so loud or fight quite so hard to be heard. And it was a lot easier to find discipline and the ability to change things that would ultimately make me feel better and do things more practically where before I was, everything I did seemed to escalate my stress. Even the things that were for de-stressing purposes, I seemed to somehow make them worse. Even meditation, you know, I'd be like, I'd get up in the morning and go, I must meditate now. I must relax. I must relax. Um, but it was again, because there was no, I hadn't really accessed the stillness of the practice. I was just doing the practice. Hmm. So meditation is something I really want to chat to you. But before I do, um, one other question that I wanted to ask you was about, in terms of acuenergetics and, and the, actually your whole, your whole um, range of therapies, have, has your work led you to find patterns in the kinds of things that are part of our modern world and part of our modern ways of thinking and being Patterns in those things that lead people to end up coming to you? 
There are patterns in how people come to us, but every single person is unique. So say, for example, you're getting people with headaches because they're stressed at work. The reason they're getting it could be completely independent. The reason I chose headaches is because it's quite an interesting one to understand and unpick from an acuenergetics point of view, because sometimes it can be on a female, it can be a hormonal thing that happens every month, but then you investigate the relationship with how they feel about their hormonal cycle. Is it an emotional reaction that their body's having and giving them the headache? Or is there something out of balance physically with their menstrual cycle that is causing the headache and causing the flow to flag up in that area? The other ones are if they're not enjoying their work or if they're pressuring against something and it's doing that visual of almost before you leave for work, you're banging your head against the wall in frustration because you don't really enjoy it. And then you go to work and you don't understand why you're getting this headache as soon as you get to work. Well, your body is telling you in some way that you're not in the right place or you're not being listened to in the right way. So it flags up like that. And I do see with women that are mums, there's a lot of patterns around worry, worrying about their children and everything like that. And obviously the change in you as a female through that parenting role, not necessarily the birthing and that kind of journey and all of that for me personally was IVF and going down that route. But it's just how that plays a toll in your body and how I can help pinpoint the organs. And it's mostly the organs that are the root cause. So what would be the difference? Again, if someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, well, I get headaches, but I'm pretty sure it's because it's a food intolerance or I'm pretty sure it's whatever, whatever the reason is that they're, that they're saying. How... How do those, how do the sort of Western diagnoses fit alongside what you're, what you're talking about here? And when would somebody know, right, now's the time I actually would benefit more from going to see an acuinodetics practitioner rather than perhaps my, my doctor? The thing is, there's a whole remit as to why you might be getting something and definitely go and see your GP and your doctor and get it all investigated from that point of view. And we don't, take their place. We are just an alternate option to help relieve the pressure in your body. This is, an acuenergetics is as an alternate journey to help your body, to help it restore and replenish itself. And I think from a Western point of view, it's really hard to get the GPs and the nurses on board with trying it themselves. But I think that's definitely something I'm going to look at more. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. Um, How does somebody who would normally be looking at like, I have a symptom. Um, I go to my doctor, my doctor gives me a medication for it. The symptom goes away. If we were to kind of zoom out on that person's life and realize that there are multiple stresses, there's all sorts of other stuff going on that that person perhaps hasn't got into their picture yet or hasn't registered that could be causing an issue. How do you help them understand the role of energy in that experience? So for me, energy, when it causes pain or a dysfunction, is like if you imagine a hose pipe and it's got a kink in it, that kink in the hose pipe is that blocked energy or blocked electricity. That will then cause pain or dysfunction in the body, which could show up as simple as a headache. It could show up as pins and needles in a particular joint 
or various different things. It could be IBS. It just depends on the person. We can all feel that blockage in our body showing up with that symptom. So energetically, what we can do is just release that kink in the hosepipe and just let the body flow and breathe better. And then once that happens, the body takes care of whatever needs to be taken care of. Exactly. And what we don't do energetically is we don't release the kink really quickly and put loads of water through the hosepipe because you're just creating too much flow straight away. It's a gentle process. So your body can accept the changes as it's happening and readapt. Okay. So if I go from here and talk about meditation, meditation, yeah, it's been a life changer for me, I've got to say. Um, But again, it's one of the things that I really struggle to articulate to somebody who doesn't buy it. What can you tell us about meditation and why it works the way that it does, why it has the impact it does? For somebody that's completely new and hasn't meditated, There's lots of different avenues into meditation these days, which is amazing. So you can go onto YouTube and watch somebody or you can look at an app and just download that. It's great to have these tools out there. But sometimes what you actually need is the guidance and support from a teacher so that you're learning meditation how you want to learn. What I tell people that come from a meditation program with me, if they're new to meditation, I go, okay, just take that word off the table to start off with. And let's just pause for five minutes. Don't meditate. If you feel up to it, you can close your eyes or you can just softly focus on something. Set a timer on your phone with a really nice alarm, not something really scary, and just sit for those five minutes and just breathe. Just breathe in through your nose and breathe out through your nose. And just take the time to start to listen and observe to your breath in your body. Is it up in the chest? Can you feel your belly moving? Can you just feel the air coming out of your nose? And then we can start the process of moving them from that into more longer formal practice, but giving them the advice that they don't have to sit for 20 minutes straight away because that in itself is a huge obstacle. In an ideal world, We would meditate for 20 minutes in the morning and we would meditate for 20 minutes in the evening every single day. And that would be amazing. But for most people, that's not achievable as a first thing. You've got to take the baby steps and learn how it works for you and know that it's a practice. It's not something that's perfect. Some days you might sit and meditate and you might just be so distracted and just can't. You just get frustrated with it. And it's learning the tools to not get frustrated and go, do you know what? Today is not the day to meditate at this time. I'm going to park it. I'm going to come back and try again later tonight. Or I might just leave it for today and try tomorrow. Mm. All of that is learning with the support of a teacher because it's really hard when you're doing something. Like you said, you just make yourself do it. It's on my to-do list. I have to do it. It's 10 o'clock. It's in my diary. It's meditation time. I'm going to do it. And then you sit there just arguing with yourself or doing a shopping list or doing the next thing. Might as well have not bothered. Mm. Yeah. And it's, um, I didn't register that either. And I think because I used the apps to start with, for a long time I used the apps and it wasn't until last year or the year before I did um, a course in Transcendental Meditation. 
And that was, yeah, that was completely life-changing. And I think because I had a teacher and because the phrases he would use, you know, we'd come out of meditation and he'd go, it is easy. And it was the way he said it, not, not, is it easy? It is easy. And I'd be like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> you know. Um, and I would talk to him about the fact that my thoughts would rise and that it was really hard to, to quiet my mind and just to go with the mantra. And he would say, then let the thoughts come and let the thoughts go. And it was like, there was something so freeing about it. And the other thing that I've realized about meditation is that even if you're really bad at it, which I still am, you know, a year and a half, two years in, the repeated practice of letting go of your thoughts is one of the greatest life skills you can have if you have a stressful life. Because if you can't, if your thoughts crowd in so dramatically all the time that you can't separate yourself from them, then your stress is likely to be at a level that's high and chronic. Um, and that's probably causing you all kinds of problems. Um, so that's been one of the key things for me is not so much the quality of the meditation, but the quality of the practice of repeatedly letting go all the time. And also, yeah, that stillness and the, the chance to just sit and recognize that actually, yes, it is easy. And whatever else happens in the day, you have that, which is lovely. What I love to say to people when they've done like an eight week program and you see, you take them from them struggling to sit for five minutes or even the, the thought of sitting for five minutes, they find difficult. And as you observe them, their eyes are opening, their bodies itching, they're, they're twitching all over the place. You can just see physically that they're not in any way relaxed. But then to see them eight weeks later and they're sitting for over 20 minutes and they're just completely present, it just makes me so proud when they get to that point because you go, okay, keep flourishing, keep going, keep practicing because it is in the repetition of the practice, like you say. It's not just... You can't go to the gym, pump iron for one session, come out going, yeah, look at my muscles. It's the same with meditation. You've got to keep just trying and knowing when, if on one particular day, sitting for a formal practice isn't for you, go for a beautiful mindful walk in the woods or go for a mindful walk around the town that you live in. Just take yourself away somewhere slowly and observe your nature or your surroundings can do that instead of formal practice one day if that's okay yeah yeah definitely and one of the things we know about habits um is that actually it's it isn't about the the length of or the the, the duration of the, the invested time it's about the consistency over time so even if you meditated for a couple of minutes a day if you did that repeatedly it would have more benefit to you than 20 minutes once a week or something like that I'm going to counter you on that. I, I believe for a beginner, they can aim for five minutes. But really, if, you're, if you want to go on with your meditation practice, you should build up a regular 20-minute practice. But that's kind of the goal. If you dip in and dip out with short meditations, once you've got your regular practice established, you're not really getting the benefit from just doing those two minutes. Oh, absolutely. And so yeah. that's what I mean, that if you are brand new to it and sitting for 20 minutes yeah. is too difficult the embedding of the habit is better. So if you have, 
if you can't bring yourself to sit for 20 minutes, but you can bring yourself to sit for one, then sit for one. Exactly. Yes. And if you do that every day for two weeks or three weeks until one minute just isn't quite cutting it, and then it goes to two or three or four or whatever, yeah. that then that becomes your new consistent practice. The thing we know about habits is if you force yourself to do them in really big chunks really early on before you're ready and it doesn't feel rewarding, it feels punishing, you are less likely to stick with it. Whereas mm -hmm. if you can set it up so that it actually feels Achievable. that it feels really good. Yeah. 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 I, the word that was coming to me was yummy because in, you know, in <laughs> yoga, in yoga, they so often it's like, Oh, that's yummy. That's yummy. <laughs> so it's stuck in my head. But, but, but yeah, like you said, that. it's, it's habit forming for people. So being a teacher of meditation, you can kind of get to know them a little bit and you can kind of go, well, everybody brushes their teeth in the morning. Do you have just a couple of extra minutes once you've brushed your teeth just to pause before you leave the bathroom and just check in with you? Just do a quick body scan meditation and just see, don't need to change anything, but just see how your body is that morning and then go on with your day. Sounds good. So the, the last thing I really wanted, well, two last things I wanted to talk to you about. The first one, on your website, you have something called press pause on menopause, which caught my eye as somebody <laughs> experiencing it. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about energy and hormones and the effect that they would have on what life feels like for us and therefore how what you do might help bring things back into balance? So the press pause to menopause, and the reason I've come up with this is because I'm 46, I'm perimenopausal and have been perimenopausal for at least two years. And I have been seeing the other two ladies that are in my group. So I've been seeing a skin therapist to make sure that my skin is being looked after and nourished because when you're changing at any phase of your life, there are changes that happen in your skin. I'm also being supported by the nutritionist that's in the group as well. So she's given me some supplements that I can help my body with, but also dietary to look at what my body actually needs. Because I was eliminating things like milk and things from my diary. And she's going, well, you need to make sure you have this kind. So actually just having that support from somebody that knows their stuff is very beneficial. And then I come on board more from a meditation point of view to give people the tools to learn to listen to their body at this time of their life, because our energy is changing. That's what menopause is in our body. It changes from the heart to the sex center and the flow is coming back up to the heart during perimenopause and menopause. And all of these little symptoms that we could have like hot flushes, night sweats are all just because that energy flow is just surging through our body in a different way. And it's learning how to accept those changes and not block to it to it's kind of like releasing the pressure on a pressure cooker we're just trying to take that pressure off so your body can cope with this change so there's little acupressure points that I'm going to give them as little tips through the uh, five-day masterclass and also some meditation guidance specifically working on making sure the heart is open because if the heart is open then the rest of the body can flow a lot better sounds good which brings me to my last question, which is um, a little bit related to what I asked you about earlier. Um, are there everyday habits that you notice showing up in problematic ways? That's part one. And part two is, 
Are there everyday habits? We know meditation is one of them, but are there other everyday habits that people can engage in that ultimately will serve them much better? I think a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves to be perfect or to be the best version of themselves now. And that's a lot of pressure that you put on yourself. One habit I do is breathe. Put your hands on your belly, just beneath your belly button and just breathe. Can you feel your breath all the way down as a full yoga breath into that belly? And if you can't feel that, don't judge, don't be hard on yourself, but that's your goal to be able to sit and breathe and just let that belly expand because that is activating the calmness in your body. Because if you're breathing from up here, that's too much fire in your system. You need to breathe all the way down. Okay. So that would be one of the really kind of fundamental baseline habits. If you, if you are stressed, if you are struggling, just at various points in the day, draw your attention to your breath going into your belly. Yeah. Great. And so coming back to part one of that question, are there patterns in people's habits that you notice that ultimately cause them problems? You mentioned about kind of trying to be the best version of themselves straight away, putting lots of pressure on themselves. Is there anything else you would say, I notice this quite a lot. It just seems to keep showing up that people do this. It's devices as well. I mean, we live in a switched on society at the moment. I mean, I don't think working from home has helped a lot of people as well, because there's probably less, less barrier between them going to work and being at home they're probably more switched on now than ever I know I'm the worst and I'm a meditation teacher some nights I will I turn my phone over and it's not not noted I don't check on it but before I go to bed I'm going to pick it up and take it to the other room and put it on charge oh look there's a message oh I'll just quickly respond I didn't need to do that I could have just left it so even myself I need to just go leave it in the other room put it in the kitchen. It's out of harm's way. I'll check it again in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good idea. I was listening to um, an audiobook the other day. It was Ariana Huffington Thrive. Mm. And she's obviously got, she's got Thrive Global, but one of the products that they have that they give to their clients is a little bed for your mobile phone. And she was talking about that she has an alarm that she sets for the end of device time, not bedtime, but that's where at that point, the device gets put into its little bed and it stays there until the following morning. Um, and then she talked about, you know, she'd had to buy an alarm clock and she had to do other things like that so that there's no excuse for having the device next to your bed. Um, but yeah, beginning those kind of disciplined practices to separate from the devices yeah, seems really I vital. Especially having children, you, they just see us that we're on the phone doesn't matter if you're reading the news or doing whatever it can be all done on that one device I also think going forward there's going to be a lot more people with um, headaches at the front because we've all been looking at zoom looking at cameras so we've all been focusing and thinking and really frowning so I'm very aware that I think people will need a lot of rebalancing of the head centers just to bring them back away from constantly visual stimulation through a screen which is not great that makes sense. Oh, well, you've given us so, so much to think about, Sonia. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation with Sonia because talking about energy is so different from the kinds of things that I would usually be talking about and thinking about. But the further I go into this world of physical and mental well-being, the more I encounter the idea of energy and the more I think I need to learn about it. So I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity to talk to Sonia and to find out a little bit more about that world. 
I still have loads more questions and I'm sure you do too. So we'll probably need to talk to Sonia again. But in the meantime, if this has piqued your curiosity and you would like to work with Sonia, go on any of those programs that she talked about, then all you need to do is visit bighappylife.co.uk and you'll find all the links you need to work with her there. For now, though, from me, it's thanks for listening. But if you wanted to hang on for that one minute meditation demonstration, here it comes. So this meditation, like I say, can be done anywhere. But if you want to just take a moment, you can sit in a comfortable position, or if you're standing, just softly lower your gaze on the floor. And just take a moment to breathe in through your nose and breathe out through your nose. And again, breathe in through your nose and breathe out through your nose. Now on the next inhalation, I invite you to move just one of your thumbs to your index finger. Inhale, move it to the index finger. And exhale, move it to the middle finger. Inhale, move it to the ring finger. And exhale, move it to the little finger. And keep going in time with your own natural breathing pattern. Moving the thumb between the fingers as you inhale. And exhale. Don't worry about whether you're on the wrong finger or the right finger. Just keep moving the thumb in time with your inhalation and exhalation. Inhaling and exhaling. And when you're ready, you can drop the movement of your thumb and just bring your awareness back to your breath and your body. And just observe, even after that short time, is there a difference in your breath? Is it a bit deeper, a bit gentler? Again, don't judge it harshly, just observe. And then just maybe wiggle your fingers and toes or a light movement of your head just to bring some physical awareness back. And then when you're ready, you can open your eyes and continue on with your day. That was a really nice way to finish. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Really relaxing. Thank you.